Welcome to The Voice of Retail. I'm your host, Michael LeBlanc. This podcast is brought to you in conjunction with Retail Council of Canada and with the support of Omnovos, Canada's digital customer engagement company. Omnovos makes personalization easy by helping you engage the right customer at the right content at the right time. Find out how you can get started quickly and affordably so you can focus on doing what matters most, driving revenue and margin growth at www.realcustomerengagement.com. In this episode, I'm in the Big Apple, New York City. First, with an exclusive interview with Paige Thomas, president and CEO of Saxoff Fifth. We discuss her rich background in retail through to developing a passion for the off-price format and then delve into the brand strategy matrix, the affordable luxury retail trend, the evolution of secondhand luxury market, and the future of retail in the COVID era and beyond. Next, I meet Ron Thurston, Vice President of Stores at Intermix and best-selling author with his great new book, Retail Pride. In a wide-ranging interview, Ron takes us through his history of accomplishments and learnings in retail store operations across North America and delivers a glimpse into the masterclass of retail as a career that he chronicles and celebrates in his book. But first, let's hear from Paige from Saxoff Fifth. Paige, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this afternoon? I'm great, Michael. It's so nice to be able to join you today. How are you? I'm good. You know what? I'm I'm relieved. Uh, our first uh, for the listeners, our first attempt at trying to interview was was blocked by some some technical difficulties. So I'm so thrilled to get you back on the mic. You're so gracious in 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 rebooking uh, and getting through the technical issues. But you sound crystal clear now. So I'm really looking forward to our our conversation. And we just we just touched the surface last time, and then we had to stop. So uh, let's just jump right in. Tell us tell me about your tell us the listeners tell us about your personal professional journey and your role at Saxoff Fifth. Sure, I, w- I, w- I would love to. So I've been in retail too many years, um, but I, I love it and that's not going to change. Interesting times right now. I would tell you I'm, you know, I've been very uh, lucky to be a part of some pretty incredible brands in the, in the journey of serving customers, specifically the May companies of the world that became Macy's and being a part of Kohl's, and, and most notably recently with Nordstrom before I joined Saxoff Fifth. And I think that that is where the synergy really came into play. The majority of my time there was really leading the merchandising customer efforts for the off-price business of, of Nordstrom Rack. I will tell you that, that while I've always had the retail bug, mm. that the passion for off-price became very clear for me in how just the speed in which it moves, the agility <laughs> that it requires, relationships mm. in the market, it to me is an authentic approach to, to retail and and so relevant today for consumers. And and we'll get into this a little bit later in the conversation, but but such a fundamental and foundational strategic role in the bigger picture. So I really want to get into that with you as well, how you think through that with your experience. So let's talk about the before time. So before, you know, you just, I think you started in January or February of this year. So the before time for you in this business isn't, you know, wow, welcome to the business and here's the COVID crisis. But as you, as, as you consider taking this opportunity, what was attractive about the, the opportunity and, and how are you thinking about growth pre-COVID? And where I'm going with this is, okay, now eight months in, Knowing what you now know, what what is uh, you know what do you think is going to be changed in the way you approach the business in, for the COVID era and uh, and beyond? To your point, um, I did join uh, in February, 
and um, literally 30 days later was faced with, you know, shutting our entire fleet down, which is is not something that any of us have Mm. ever faced in in the retail environment. But if I really think about the pre-COVID and honestly how it leads into a little bit of, of, of post there was considerable foundational work that was put in place at Saxoff Fifth to really be a true luxury off-price retailer. And that's what was very interesting to me to really sort of drive the business to the next level. So the key strategies and how the business was thinking about it before I came and after, I would say are were grounded very much in what that looks like. Um I'm proud to say that the team did an unbelievable job in reopening all of our stores um, at the end of June and really creating a, a safe environment for our customers to shop. But the way that we're really, I would I would call out kind of two key things as we think about this COVID time period and 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 the change that's happening. Digital, while it was absolutely a key initiative before I joined and was driving the business and and delivering significant top-line performance, that still is a key strategy for us. And I think that in this environment with customer sentiment is an opportunity Mm -hmm. for a a step change there. So that remains a priority. I would say, too, that at the end of the day, customers come to Saxoff Fifth for us to give them great product at a great price so that they feel good. And I think in the current environment with customer sentiments changing and their needs, there's a significant amount of work from home, conversations about a more casual fashion experience, Mm -hmm. certain categories that are distorting in this time period. But really, the priority and strategy to deliver great product at a great price, which is really grounded in brands, uh, remains a, a top priority for us to serve customers. So that's the constant in your in your strategy. Let's talk about the strategy in the context of, of Saks, like the bigger picture. How do you see the role of, of Saks Off Fifth? Is it a is it a flanker brand that helps bring new customers to the main brand? You know, what role does it play in the in the luxury market? In other words, is it, is do you see it as partially uh, both a standalone business to be successful itself, and then a gateway uh, up and and forward? I guess spoken differently, you know, would Saks Off Fifth exists without Saks Fifth. You know how do how do you see the synergy between the, the two brands and experiences? Yes, Michael, I love this question because it really gets grounded in in the customer, and it actually has evolved really how we've structured the organization and and the business. So you know, prior to privatization, we were really this sort of you know, larger organization functioning with synergies and and shared services. And as we've moved forward, we really are setting up separate operating companies. And why that's important is that the retail businesses are actually quite different. So the full price business of Saks versus Hudson Bay in Canada versus Saks off fifth, they are very different and serve a different customer, a specialized Uh, operating model. And so I think that that's an important element for us to really deliver the long-term value um, to to, uh, the brand. Saying that, I would be completely remiss if it Mm -hmm. wasn't clear that our core grounding mission 
is to deliver SAC style for less to in the manner of our customer's lifestyle. And so what I mean by that is that we, our mission is to be a true off-price luxury retail. And so it's important that there is this understanding, right, what SAC's full price delivers. It's important and our teams are highly engaged with what's relevant and happening in that industry and that market. So how we think about our assortment is directly connected to the luxury space. And there's the representation that Saks means luxury. That's important to our brand. And you take me back to my days at Hudson's Bay, which was the late 90s, early 2000s. And we had a lot of brand architecture discussions because we had, at the time, we had the Bay as it was known, we had Zellers, we had home outfitters, and and you know we thought about this brand architecture where, um, you know where does where does the assortment fit in in Hudson's Bay and where does it fit in Zellers? Sometimes that was an easier discussion, but then where does mm-hmm. Hudson's Bay fit as an umbrella brand in general, and what benefits does it connote? So the, I mean, back in those days, we had two different credit cards. It was hilarious when you think about it. You had a Zellers credit card and a Bay credit card, same company. Tell me about that synergy. So do you see it as you know, you've got Saks, Saks off Fifth, and then Hudson's Bay, or are they just set, not just separate operating units, but separate brands that don't mesh together? You know, so I'm bringing, in other words, I'm bringing Hudson's Bay into the conversation just to see if there's sure. some kind of synergy there. Would, would I see Hudson's Bay product at a certain level in a, a Saks off Fifth, for example? Yeah. So as you think about the brand matrix and that composition within Saks off Fifth, What I think is important to get grounded in is that we should deliver brands that matter to a luxury customer. Hmm. And what's important about that is that when we talk internally a lot about filling out the customer's wardrobe. And the the way I like to say that is that ranges, right, In, in people's closet, they would have Adidas and Gucci. And so if you think about that exact example and your reference to Hudson Bay and Saks, Adidas would be in a Hudson Bay store and Gucci would be in a Saks. And the beauty of our model is we've got some elasticity in our brand offer to really fill out the customer's wardrobe. And I think that's the differentiating place in which we win in off price because our core competitors would not reach as high as mm. Zach's full price business. Mm. It's it's interesting discussion. I had a conversation with one of your vendors, one of the Saks vendors, Moose Knuckles Outerwear from mm. Montreal. Yes. Um, and and they were uh, both the CEOs were on the podcast and we were talking about these kind of, you know, decisions about where you list and what it says about your brand and and how you convey, you know, what what where the brand stops and starts amongst the different banners. So thank you for sharing that. It's fascinating. Of course, for me, I could talk about it all day because I must have spent three years talking about it at one point. Um, Let's talk about your digital strategies for a sec. You mentioned the importance. It's clearly there's been a great acceleration in digital. You know, in Canada, we're up like 63%. We talked about it moving forward five years. In the U.S., it's moved forward, you know, two years, whatever number you want to pick. So how does it fit into your brand? I mean, typically, it's a bit of a treasure hunt. And digital kind of in in the off price has been you know, has it had a slightly different role, but how do you see it? So this is another conversation that I love because I could talk about it for hours. What I want to get grounded in that conversation is the way that Saks Off Fifth 
thinks about it is our omni approach. And omni is an important element to define because Mm. it actually is how you win with the customer. So it is a store footprint. It is absolutely a digital business and the digital business is, is the strength that we have right now but it's also omni services and how the customer maneuvers. So we talk a lot about the customer journey. They don't think of their phone different than their iPad, different than going to a store. They're servicing the needs that they have at that moment in time. And so our job in my mind is to show up in an omni way to reduce the barriers. And so that we can deliver them amazing product. Um, And so that is really what's grounding our digital strategies, to think about it in an omni way and making strategic investments that allow the customer to maneuver and, you know, meander through their journey in the way that it works. What I will say is that that is absolutely investments in digital. Mm. Recently, we just made a strategic investment and converted our digital platform um, this last summer. And that has worked very effectively for us. But we're also thinking about future enhancements that consider sort of buy online, pick up and store, curbside. These things are very relevant in the COVID environment. What I would say is they're relevant in the COVID environment, but the customer sentiment will change. It it will long-term change. And so we should think about those enhancements to bring forth our omni strategy mm-hmm. through digital enablement. Yeah, I, I had one uh, one of my guests say, listen, if you're worried about what percentage of your business is sold online, you're kind of missing the point, which is what you're articulating. It's not about a percentage exactly. sold. You're, you're, you're forced for the trees kind of discussion, right? It's more about consumer behavior and adapt, adoption of all these different things. Let's switch gears a little bit. So, uh, you know, I've seen some wild projections you probably have as well for the resale market. And in some ways, a close cousin to the off price segment, you know, people looking for luxury, uh, luxury products at, at a value price in a, in a different context. What, what, do you, what do you make of all this? Do you think it's, uh, you, know, you know, these people who are in the business forecasting, it's going to be bigger than fast fashion. But where do, uh, first of all, where do, what do you think of the, these developments do you think it has legs? And then do you think there's a role for it some way, shape or another within uh, Saxoff Fifth? Yeah. So it's definitely something I think people should be debating and, and discussing, exploring and, and, and understanding what that means for their individual, you know, retail business from a Saxoff Fifth perspective, we definitely see opportunity there and we want to learn uh, while I don't think, you know, this to me is not a, a run. There's certain things you sort of define as crawl, walk, run. Um, we're absolutely mm-hmm. exploring it. And I think it's very relevant with a young consumer. I think it's very relevant with conversations mm-hmm. about sustainability, about giving customers access to brands, which is really what our model does as well. So we are actually, um, we've recently made the decision in partnership with the LXR Group, which is a vintage luxury Mm. retailer, and they really specialize in the authentic handbag and accessory business with with designer brands. 
So we're going to pilot that in a, a small amount of stores and online in this holiday season. And I'm super interested to see the customer's response. But I think it is definitely something mm. uh, we should be contemplating and exploring. And we are. So I'm proud of the team for bringing that to the table. Yeah, interesting, right? It's all, it's it's a very uh, be careful what you what kind of strategies you take on just in case they, you know, you've got to be careful how you, again, protect that brand, the brand system and the architecture. Speaking of which, I, I did an interview with uh, Rashad Tabakawala, who's got a great book, Restoring the Soul of Business. And he, he, he said he thought that retailers had a six-month mulligan, to use a, a golfing metaphor, um, and, and that in the next six months, you can you can really have the permission, so to speak, from consumers to react, to try things like just like you're describing. Um, how is that how you're seeing 2021? I mean, you, you're in a different position. I mean, you've taken the reins of the, of the business, though you, you come at it with a, a, a you know a growth perspective. But how are you thinking about early 2021? Yeah, so I, I do think that we have a window. I, I describe it as this, a very real window of opportunity. And the, mm. you know, in the off-price market, specifically, there was some step change movement that happened in 2008, if you, if you remember that. And we would, yeah. we would describe some similarity to that in mm. the current state and, and 2021. It's very much grounded in what I believe is there's an incredible need for value in the current environment. So product and price and how that comes to light for the customer is is really important. So I would say that we have a kind of a twofold opportunity. One, to really capitalize on the customer sentiment. The macroeconomics are creating a challenging environment, the need for value. How do we give them more accessibility yeah. to what they yeah. need and want? And secondly, which is also a very real scenario in a strained retail wholesale environment, it will give us an opportunity to have greater access to brands and assortment that we wouldn't always have. And that creates a new relationship Hmm. with the branded market as well as with our customer. And this has been very real for us. So we've had significant unlocks, 30 new brands across all categories will be coming into our assortments for the holiday season. And I'm, I'm really excited wow. about that, that our customers would not have seen in our stores historically. And those are new partnerships for us. Well, I can't have you on the podcast without asking these two last questions. And, you know, the timing is everything. We're right about to head into Black Friday, Cyber Monday in Canada, Boxing Day. We're in the marathon that is that is holiday. And, um, you know, retailers have been discussing how to approach these this season and this year uh you know you can't you can't have the same number of people in the stores and you know the package delivery systems are are a bit jammed and and how do you balance the needs of of the business and the consumers and the team to to still create the excitement around a black friday or any really retail promotional event how have you been thinking about that yeah, I love your word, the use of of balance because I think that that's a critical component for us is to really listen to the customer. And I would say, first and foremost, you know, we Saks Off Fifth continues to prioritize the health and well-being of our associates, our customers, mm-hmm. and our communities. Uh, again, I, I referenced it earlier, I'm super proud of the team as we reopened our stores in, in May and June, and we've got high standards of protocol for social distancing and, and cleanliness. And 
what that looks like for our customers in, in a store environment, which we know there is some hesitancy on that. So it's important that we show up in the right yeah. way there. You know, as we've been talking to our customers, they're they're telling us almost to the level of 50% that they're going to shop early. So as you say, you mm-hmm. know, coming into this Black Friday, what's interesting is we actually started some of our holiday campaigning and product offering in the month of October. They told us that they were going to shop earlier than they had in the past. Mm-hmm. So we offered mm-hmm. some sneak peek deals in October. We are absolutely evaluating Black Friday and Cyber Monday and how those things come to life. And we will most likely extend the duration of those promotions so that it can Mm -hmm. allow customers greater access to the, you know, amazing offers that we believe that we have. We've also thought about holiday differently Mm -hmm. in the sense of the product that's important to customers. We, you know, what, what is Christmas going to look like? What are these Thanksgiving? What, what are those key milestone dates how do they come to life? And so, you know, customers have continued to tell us as well with beauty and wellness, cozy and comfort, having that really special luxury gift um, is, is going to be important. And, and then, as you said, from a, for our Canadian customers, we will be offering a sneak peek as well for Boxing Week as, that, as we lead up to the, to the holidays. So I'm, I'm excited about how we're thinking about it differently starting earlier and really focused on the customer with with amazing gifts it's it's interesting you talked about the health of your people i I firmly believe that 2020 was the the year of focus on health and i think 2021 will be the year of focus on mental health for all of us and and our people Mm so um you know these these things i think are gonna are gonna evolve once we've we've kind of got it figured out so to speak keeping people healthy, but I do think mental health will be the priority in 2021 and beyond. All right. So last question, um, kind of a fun question. If you were me and you were you, and you were looking for some great values, anything caught your eye, any suggestions for the listeners out there? We're all shoppers, even though we're an industry podcast, we're all shoppers. Any, anything caught your eye that you'd you'd recommend for the, for the holiday shopping black Friday and the run up to uh, the big day? Sure. Um, listen, I'm really excited about the work the team's done as I, you know, opened with being a true luxury off-price retailer. It is really about our designer assortment. And I think as we talked about some of the brand unlocks, uh, getting into our stores and getting online, I think you will see the best designer assortment in off-price uh, in in the industry, so that I'm excited about the true treasure hunt of getting a deal we we have for you. Right I would also say that when we think about luxury gift, those are things that I'm really excited about as well. From designer cashmere to outerwear offerings, the jewelry assortment is uh, unprecedented. So it's it's exciting, and I think we've got just the gift for her him. She, the children, and everything <laughs> that your heart can desire. Fantastic. Paige, it's been such a treat speaking with you. Uh, great insights, such experience that just kind of comes out in the in the conversation and the way you think about the business. So I, I wish you uh, much continued success and, and look forward to watching what happens over the, the months and years to come. So thanks again for joining me on the Voice of Retail podcast. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate the opportunity for us to share our story. It's exciting for me to be here. 
Ron, welcome to the Voice of Retail podcast. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Thank you, Michael. Well, fantastic. Well, listen, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. I've, I've had the chance to read, uh, I guess, an advanced copy of, of the book. It's, it's a really great read. So congratulations. Uh, you know, I barely have time to read books, let alone write them. So I'm always so, you know, appreciative of, of people who can put their thoughts of uh, such a rich career in writing. And so it's a real treat for me to be able to talk to you about that and your you know, your insights about retail and, and the book itself, of course. But why don't we start off at the beginning? Tell us about your personal professional journey and your role now at Intermix, and then we'll, we'll start talking about all that other great stuff. Sounds great. Thanks so much. I grew up in Northern California, Lake Tahoe, in a construction family. Um, my grandfather owned a, a company that built a lot of the grocery stores on the West Coast. Um, but I knew very early on that I wanted to kind of work, work somehow in buying design retail. I didn't know, I knew the industry, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. So I went mm-hmm. to school at FITM on the West coast, which got me at least to, to San Francisco and ultimately to Los Angeles and studied fashion design and then also studied retail administration, just in two year degrees. I, I was not, I had no plans on being highly educated. I wanted to get right into business and get to work. And so started my career actually in fashion design and had success. But I, in some ways, very accidentally, which is part of the book, um, ended up um, through some referrals and knew what was going on at Gap Kids. And that was an interesting start of my career. I didn't have children. I didn't really understand the business. They were launching Baby Gap at the time. Um, But I... What I fell in love with more than the product was the culture of the company and the people that work there and why they were there and what they did for me, which is what I still today, 30 years later, do, is find those people who really have that special light and help them move their career forward. And I was very, very mentored and and consistently promoted into, you know, sales into management, into multi-store management, into corporate visual merchandising roles for different brands over the span of 10 years there and have since chosen different brands at different points in their journeys. I was there early Apple years during early iPhone 2 was actually when I joined Apple. Mm-hmm. I helped launch West Elm. Um, I worked kind of with Tory Burch in early years, opened the majority of the stores on the West Coast. Uh, I moved here to New York about six years ago and helped launch the Bonobos Guide Shop business model, which in retail still kind of sits in a very unique place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then uh, ran Saint Laurent in the Americas, and then the last three years I've been here at Intermix, so I'm back at the Gap family of brands. Um, and Intermix, for you know, the majority of your Canadian listeners, um, is the largest multi-brand specialty store in North America. Uh, and so the, the idea of curating the best mix of highest in designer through contemporary brands, the best denim edit, um, our own private label brands mixed all together in the store. And really we think of it as a 2000 square foot closet that we have fun in every day. We bring the, the trends first. Um, often we bring in designers maybe that show in Copenhagen or Sydney, um, often first to the U.S. are um, their distributions at Intermix. So it's kind of the 
the best of all the the worlds of fashion and with really incredible stylists that work in every store. Um, so it's really a pleasure. So the, it's the best part of fashion, I think, in this multi-brand space. Well, yeah, there's so many things I could I could remark upon. I mean, the the one one of the things I love about retail is the meritocracy of it all. Like you know, when you can you can start at a store and and you know become a vice president because it, it, it you know decisions and and performance and and talent are all all remarked upon and they're all they're all rewarded with you know there's not enough people not enough great people in retail to begin with so uh clearly you've you've found your way through and and talk about intermix uh, one more second I, there's yeah. a store in toronto but is there other stores in canada right now there are not it's just the one right. in toronto um you know the other Gap brands have hmm. quite large distributions of stores sure. in Canada, but I think part of our business model and then the original founding brothers, Canada was just not part of the original you know, exploration yep. uh, at the time. But I have for Saint Laurent, I ran Canada for Torrey, I ran Canada, so I've I always enjoyed uh, being up there. But Intermix is is not part of the equation today. Before we start talking about the book, mm-hmm. I wanted to tap into your experience as a leader. So I can't miss the opportunity to talk about your thoughts around retail and operations and just big picture retail and take me back to the before time when, you know, 2019 or early in the year, and you were thinking about what retail and how retail would evolve. And then, you know, in the COVID era that we're in, has that changed anything in the way you think about the fundamentals of retail? I mean, we, we know that e-commerce has been accelerated. It was happening anyway. Uh, so that's more of an acceleration than a change perhaps, but you tell me what, what, you know, how do you see the, the future of physical stores now, do you see it differently than before? And, and let's just talk about that for a bit. Sure. So the, you're right. The growth of e-commerce can't be ignored. I think where sometimes the, the, the press, the, the headline becomes about the growth of e-commerce and the demise of brick and mortar. But when you really dig into the facts, the majority of business is still done in brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah. to answer your question, the before you know, if I think about 2019, which, you know, here Inmix was one of the best years in company 27 year history, you know, we're incredibly client centric, incredibly uh, focused on individual store edits and creating an experience. And I think that was true in the industry, this kind of idea of experiential retail and um, mm-hmm. how we were evolving our business to be almost like marketing versus commerce and how to create these beautiful environments where people would come and take Instagram pictures and, you know, um, kind of idea of an experience. And that's all I believe still very true. The difference today is that we had the gift of traffic before. And so we had no shortage of people streaming in and I'm coming to you from the middle of Manhattan today. And in the, tourism, local business, people from all over the world were here in New York every day in every store all over the city. We don't have that today. So we actually have to create an experience that is not just in person, that maybe it's chat, maybe it's um, FaceTime selling, maybe it's all the different versions of virtual, maybe it's consignment. So I think every business now has to think about how do I create an experience and what's important for the brand, but I need to do it with far fewer footsteps in most well, it, it's interesting you know i'm picking up on on one of those things i mean I, and i had this experience i was a cmo for a retailer and we had we had too many stores so what mm-hmm. the problem was we never had a lot of people in any one store 
So the store, they seem to lack a little bit of energy, right? Like when there's people in and there's things happening, it creates an energy, right? And, and mm-hmm. I, I think one of the challenges is between now and whenever, you know, for the rest of the COVID era, it's, it's how do you create energy with half the people in the store afraid to touch each other? I mean, it's so true. You know, it, it's just hard to bring it, right? It's hard to create it. Very, it's, very much so. And we're feeling that because the, in mm-hmm. addition to that, the client is having their own experience, you know, and when we first started to reopen, um, and we did reopen every store in the fleet there, maybe it was their first time out. Maybe, you know, their, their, their level of anxiety depends also which part of the U S you're in, yeah. uh, but they're, they may be having their own experience. You're having your own experience yeah. engaging. Yeah. They may not be in the best mood. And so where I think, if I think about my own business, fun, energetic, fashion, styling, fitting rooms, let's make you feel beautiful. Yeah. It's not, that's not as easy as it was. And so we, we constantly have to kind of rethink about our business model and how it adds value to the client and to the, and to the business. We all put so much energy into removing friction and creating a great experience. Now, some days it feels it's all about friction, um, whether it's lines or masks and, 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 you know, all these things that are that are coming to, you know, what other thing, and I want to get your insight on this. Retailers have been telling me that consumers in general are more purpose driven when they come into their stores. In other words, the store and the shop is the destination. So they find there's very few people who just pop into the store to see what's new, that, mm-hmm. that they're lacking. You know, even in the store, it's hard to get to drive impulse sales because they come in with something in mind. And they're far more specific. Now, again, that's a trend that's been happening. Go online, see a product, go into store and buy it. But yep. are you experiencing that as well, that, that people are, are more purpose-driven? Therefore, you know, they, I want to get in and out. I'm not here to linger. And I'm not – I'm just – you know, you have a hard time. As you said, you don't have the gift of traffic. Just popping in and seeing what's new. Because I think – and I'm going to tag this to another question. I'm sorry. I'm mm-hmm. lumping on 20 questions here for okay. you. The same <laughs> question. But um, it, it feels like uh, in fashion particularly – and tell me if this is the case at Intermix – you'd kind of move from seasons to drops. In other words, the ongoing refreshing of the line. So tie those things together for me. Are you experiencing that as well in your stores? A little more purpose-driven, a little yeah. less lingering. And then as you go to market, are you more drop-driven or season-driven? Have you adjusted to that as well? Yeah, great question. So we – I think the idea of that she was almost forced to shop online and whether Mm -hmm. she did or not. And I think when you really dig into all the CRM data, you learn that there were very much a a whole lot of store only clients who didn't shop Omni web clients who only shopped web and, and a handful of Omni. And so what was interesting to see is there were still a significant number of clients that didn't shop when we were closed and wanted to wait until the store was reopened. Some shifted to now our web only, maybe they moved and more and more are Omni. But I do think, at least in the fashion space, she actually really loves to come in and see it, touch it, feel it, try it on, have someone um, kind of show her how to wear it. And so yeah. that, that purpose driven, I think in the beginning was true today. She just, she wants that beauty in her life again. She mm-hmm. wants to feel like t- a little more taken care of a little more kind of feeling her best again, putting on beautiful clothes again, even if it's just a blouse for zoom, you know, the, yeah, the zoom sure. top is the, is the trend. Yeah, uh, yeah. And so the idea of actually having that store experience feels like it's very much coming back to life. To answer your other question around drops, you know, we in the multi-brand space had to go back in then with, 
you know, the 200 brands that we carry and really pivot the collection. Intermix very, is very much known for you know, the best dress and the kind of the end uses of all the events in your life. And this time of year would be all the holiday parties, all the sure, events, sure. all the travel that you do to all your beautiful resort destinations in December. None of that's really happening. Mm-hmm. So like it's denim and knits and tees and things that are a little easier to wear, but still feel beautiful and sexy. Uh, so there's been a pivot in in the brands that we carry and the buy that we did and swapping out some product. So it's, I will say it's, no one has the answer, but the idea of being very nimble and willing to test and learn and change and grow has, I think, never been more important. Well, I'd, I'd end this part of that kind of our chat. And then, as I said, I want to get to the book with that. That What you just said there is very, um, it resonates with me a lot, that businesses are, are prioritizing less on being relentlessly operationally, you know, dependable and efficient and more about how do we orchestrate and build a an, an enterprise that is nimble, like nimble is better than, Great. you know, than being, okay, we can, we're a machine and we can, we can crank this out because we know what we're going to forecast for the next three quarters. Right. And we know what's going to happen. And now you've got to have an organization culturally yep. and operationally that is more focused on being nimble than it is on, you know, efficient, I guess, if I could put it that way. Agreed. Um, all right, let's talk about the book, Retail all Pride. Right. First, first of all, you know, what, what inspired you to write it? Um, you know, where did you see that there was an open space in, on the bookshelf, so to speak, and, and how did you approach it? I'm always interested when I talk to writers about their tradecraft. I talk to great writers, uh, Dan Pink. He says, you know, I, I lock myself in a room and I have a word count. I talked to a guy named Roger Martin, who's a strategist, and he says, no, that's a waste of time. I do something different. And so, t- so take me through, <laughs> you know. You can take me through what inspired you to write it and, and, and how you wrote it. And, and let's start there. Yeah, thank you. So the, you know, the idea of the book really came through you know, 25 years of speaking to people who work in stores, running stores, listening to their feedback, being in, I've been in it for a long time. And what there are very common threads about their experience, both it's often an accidental career. Mm-hmm. It's often not highly celebrated. It's very hard work, but there's a very common idea that they really love it and they needed someone to tell them that it was okay. Mm-hmm. And it's almost, I wouldn't say shame because that's a very strong word, but I mm-hmm. think there's this idea of you often fall into it and then you're so engaged and you're like, this is highly entrepreneurial. I'm learning so many different skills. I thoroughly enjoy my customers, the product. Like there's a, there's a level of um, kind of knowledge growth that happens mm-hmm. working in retail very consistently. And, but then through all like the hundreds of people that I've hired and opened stores and traveled all over the, really the world, talking to people, I just, I saw this huge open space and there's literally not a single book on the shelf. That's for people who work in stores. What I didn't want to write was a book about the future of retail or an executive leadership book or something that didn't appeal to the the biggest population and the hardest working are everyone that works in stores. And I have such an appreciation and love of those people. So what I did is I started a blog several years ago and because I wanted to just test the waters. Hmm. So my craft started there and see, well, you know, what do they respond to? And this was when the kind of term retail apocalypse was really (laughs) taking off. And I said, I find that highly offensive and we love working in retail. So let me just write. 
and I did not consider myself a writer. And the response was huge. And I said, okay, this, this emotional point of how they feel about working in this industry is really powerful. Mm-hmm. So I took, I took it all down. I saved the content and I got serious about it a year ago and said, you know, who, what's the best way to do this? And so I discovered Scribe Publishing, who Lioncrest Publishing, but Scribe Writing. Then they have a guided author program. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they actually help you, you know, what should your word count goal be every day? What are the resources that are available? Um, having weekly calls with an editor, having, and then having the full resources um, to edit the book, which went through numerous versions, um, give me feedback. Um, and I, you know, have worked full time the whole time. So I, yeah, right. you know, every day it's, you know, 6am I was sitting at the kitchen table. I would say a year is fast from concept to shelf. Um, but I put a lot of work into it because I knew that this was an important message and what I didn't know what was going to happen this year. And so I was actually almost done in March of like final edit and then, with COVID. So I, I added a bit of context around COVID, but the book is really meant to be evergreen. Like it, you should be able sure, to pick it up sure. five years from now. And the concepts of leadership and culture and our love of the industry and the millions and millions of people that work in it, there was, there's no voice. And I really wanted to be that voice. Um, and the response having reached bestseller status on Amazon within a day really showed quickly that they they're hungry for this knowledge and this this joy that really comes from this book yeah i, I really think you tapped into exactly what you said and and i've referred to it as the kind of destigmatization of of retail frontline mm-hmm. work which is a it, it's really a fantastic uh, a fantastic career and and so rich in it in its its learnings and the people you meet and 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 i echo you know i traveled the world up until speaking of conferences if you remember conferences um <laughs> talking about you know that the retail apocalypse was a myth it's a media narrative it's not really happening that being said as we talked about in the beginning the transformation of retail is pretty incredible but it's not an apocalypse it's just a transformation which is a very 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 different thing um all right so let's let's talk about the lessons you draw upon specifically you know in the day-to-day challenge and 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 you've talked about 2020 What, what things have surprised you about 2020 and your in your leadership and, and in, in hiring and running stores in 2020, what's, you know, what, what has been there for you that has resonated as part of the culture that you've built and, and the people you're, you're, you're managing? Yeah. I think what surprised me is during the most difficult times of furlough and you know, I would just say chaos and, and managing the unknown, what I was really pleased about was there their willingness to trust me and the fact that my what I said to them on their last day was my primary responsibility now to you is to get you back to work, hmm. to get our stores back open and get you back to work. Whatever I need to do, you know, and at, at that point, it was, you know, myself as a head of stores, a head of store ops, you know, and a handful of people. And, I, and that's all that was left. And I said, we are going to get our stores back open and get you back to work. And they trusted me and they said, okay, Ron, like we're here for the ride. So the minute it was about six weeks until we started to reopen um, certain parts of the country and ultimately 
you know, every location. Nearly everyone came back. You know, our operating, you know, at, with some less payroll hours, we have less inventory. We are in the same situation. But I think from a leadership perspective, I've spoken a little bit about this before. You know, you, you can't say that you had a great people culture if then when things really get hard, you walk away. Right. And, and, it, and then kind of let it sink on its own and or treat people differently based on business, then, you know, the business shouldn't and culture shouldn't be dictated by business. If the culture was great and you took care of your people before, then you're the same leader today. And so I think it actually surprised me how much they trusted me. It was kind of eye-opening and the power that we all have, no matter your responsibility as leaders, we all have that power to inspire and bring people along with us. Well, I guess it, it connects directly back to, you said the culture, right? So the culture didn't suddenly appear in April or, you know, March of 2020. That's something right. that, that, that you talk about actually fairly extensively in the book, which I'm happy to see. And, and cause I've always, I think you and I are aligned that culture is more important than strategy, you know, culture, you know, the old saying, what is it? Culture eats breakfast strategy right. for breakfast. So, but, right. but take me in this, this magic of creating culture. I mean, everybody can say create a great culture, but you're actually doing it. So how do, what's your advice on how to create a great culture? I mean, you've already expressed one of those things, which is, you know, <laughs> do what you say, basically, which is, you know, I, I tell you I care about you, so I'm going to demonstrate it. But what are, those, what are those elements in your mind of creating a great culture, particularly since we're talking about, you know, at the store level, you have lots of associates, mm-hmm. lots of different people, all kinds of different ages and vibes and and things. How do you, how do you in that group of not, let's call them, you know, very different people come from d- different spaces. How do you create that unifying culture? Yeah. I, so I, I think for any great company that, you know, culture always starts at the top, but it's not something that should only be spoken about kind of in the office. And I think when, when you have an, a retail organization or an omni organization, the, the idea of every touch point, every conversation, every store visit, mm. um, everything you do, how you act, what you say, what you don't say, um, how you speak behind closed doors is all culture. And I think it's for me, it's very important that you're aligned in your messaging at every touch point. Because what frustrates stores is that my store manager says this and my district manager says this. And then Ron visited the store and he said, and this. said that, <laughs> and then I was on a, on a town hall zoom and they said this, that's the worst yeah. thing you can actually do. Cons- for a store. Inconsistencies, right? That, me- you know, that inconsistent message. Correct. And, and I still, I, one of the messages that I think this year that I spoke about earlier is culture exists regardless of what's happening in your business. And the, the minute things get hard, and culture stops, then the culture wasn't real right. and, the, and mm-hmm. that it was not as tangible as you said that it is. And that you need to be responsible for what you've created and what the result was. And it doesn't mean you can't pivot, but mm-hmm. I think this year has said, if you have a strong culture, the strong culture still exists, even if the business doesn't and that people are very willing to follow mm-hmm. great culture. And it's not based on size. Because when I think back even to my Apple years, who I think today still has one of the best cultures in the industry, mm. the people that work at Apple can't think about working anywhere else because they love the culture so much. It's not yeah. the financial gain that they have. 
and I and I today run a, a business that is primarily commission based, and so it is about sales. And Apple is about creating a customer experience, but the employee experience is equally important to them. So, and, and they're you know, the biggest company in the world. So it it can happen at scale, but I think it takes extraordinary work. But what I say in the book is, we all influence culture. I can join. I'm you know. A sales associate that joins a new store team, I can influence culture. I can say, I like this. I don't like this. Mm-hmm. What can we do differently to be better? What can we work together as a team to make a positive impact? Whatever you want that to look like. So we, I think we have to own our own piece of this conversation, our own responsibility and culture and talk about it and be honest with ourselves. I, I think it's one of the pillars, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. in, you know, kind of create this idea of ask great questions. Like what is working? What do you like about working here? And what do you not like about it? And, Mm. and I think as leaders, we also have to ask the hard questions and to understand what's, what's actually not working and how can I help you? That's I think culture. Retail is a people business, uh, primarily, particularly, uh, particularly in the stores, but anywhere really, whether it's in a warehouse shipping out goods or delivering to the doorstep. Talk about your top three tips in hiring. Uh, you talk in the book about this concept of a yellow flag, for example, but so you've got lots of great tips in the books, but tell us a little bit about your, the listeners about your, your tips. You've hired no doubt thousands and thousands of That's people. So, yeah, so many. Yeah. Um, you know, what, what's your, what's your top advice around uh, finding and hiring great people? Yeah. So I go to so also in the book there, I talk about just the three pillars of great retail, which are, empathy, curiosity, and focus. And those have really been my filters for everything. But when I think about hiring, um, particularly today, I would put empathy at the top of that list. So if I'm anyone I'm interviewing, there's a sense of, of understanding what empathy is, how it works in the environment. What do you need? Do you understand kind of the business today? And so I would say that's a critical competency that I would look for. I would say curiosity. If you're a leader, being highly curious. If you are a part-time stock associate, you're highly curious. And like, what, what is going on? What is the, what is the environment? What's my impact here going to be? And that they are highly curious because I think, you know, are, have they done research about the company? What is, what is their knowledge base of kind of why they want to work here. So I think that curiosity in the workplace, but curiosity from a candidate, you know, nothing's worse than they've gone through four interviews and they get to me and I say, like, what can I tell you? Ask me some questions. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. Like, okay. Then you're not getting the job because mm-hmm. you should be a little more curious about the company, about me, about anything. And so I, that for me is a competency that I look for mm. in every level and every person that I hire. And then the, the focus piece, you know, I think in focus in the book is really implied around all the things that are thrown at you every day. And you have right. to think about what do I actually want to accomplish? Mm. But I also think it from a hiring perspective of and why are they here? What did they, you know, why this brand, why now, mm. you know, why this particular opportunity that they're focused on getting that job? Mm. Mm. Um, and that's a candidate that would say, oh, I'm just looking for anything I can get. Yeah. yeah not right. focused on that job. Right. And those are in, in some ways, you know, they could be yellow flags if you're, mm. but those three pillars, it just apply. I keep applying as a filter 
for everything that I do. And I think, I think they're easy to, to digest for anyone in any store um, as, a, as a way to think about yeah. your business. Yeah, very good. I mean, coming up on, on another episode, uh, I mentioned him before, Eric Qualman. He's got his new book uh, is called The Focus Project, and it's about you know one mm-hmm. of your elements, which is is focus. And he he, he spends an entire book talking about just that one element alone. So uh, yeah. it's a great interview. I, you you and I were talking off mic about the the concept of the flywheel, and I'm a big fan of of understanding the flywheel. There's a nice graph written uh, book that uh, you can find on your local bo- bookstore about this idea of the flywheel tell us about how you've taken that concept of the flywheel and put it at the store level i I love that 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 work because i'm I'm a big believer in you know creating basically momentum one thing leads to three it's like geometric not arithmetic so tell me about the the flywheel at the store level i i love this topic because we have so many opportunities every day in stores to spin the flywheel whether it's complementing each other, whether it's building a, a stronger business, you know, the variety of all the different KPIs and metrics we have every day to celebrate. Um, every touch point, there's, there's a metric or an emotion that goes with it. And the flywheel idea is you keep adding to it and celebrate it and move forward. You keep adding to it and moving mm-hmm. it, yeah. and it, the flywheel starts to spin. I will tell you... You know, I've I've not joined a business that was underperforming and didn't turn it around pretty quickly with this flywheel idea. That, that's never happened because this idea of what is working, again, be curious, what's not. Okay, if it's not, then we're going to find those opportunities to get the flywheel moving. And maybe it's something small. Maybe it's, okay, five stores achieved this goal, 30 didn't. So then then it's six, then it's 10, then it's 20. And pretty soon the flywheel is moving. Well, then let's add something else into it. So there's it's transparency, it's celebration, it's accountability. It's this idea of setting the stage for what do we actually want to achieve? How do we get there? And moving things forward, but at the same time, that accountability comes for those that don't want to play this game. And I I do um, also think about that in terms of, if you want to come with me on this journey, let's do this. And if you don't, that's okay too, but we're going to win. We're going to find ways to do this. And the example I use from the Apple store I was running was a small one, but it was, that was not an easy year. The launch of iPhone two, you know, I was at a mall in Houston running one store and I'm like, this is going to be the best store in the world, but the, we're going to have the best service in the world. And that seemed like a very lofty goal. But mm-hmm. every survey that would come back, we would just get better and we would get better and we would get better. And we won an award for the best service mm-hmm. uh, and best MPS scores in the world from this little store in, the, in Houston. Right. And so I think it's, it's very possible and to not put um, kind of parameters or or guidelines to what you can accomplish because that that's what retail is. It's taking something and you're teaching yourself and you're learning and you're growing and you're building that momentum forward. Um, so yeah, well, thank you for asking about that. Yeah. And, and for the listeners you talk about it in the book and, and uh, again, Jim Collins wrote a great uh, monograph. It's like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I've just got it actually just reached behind me. It's about a 30, 40 page. So the concept is, is deceptively simple. 
but it is very powerful. So I encourage everybody to take your advice and then to maybe uh, delve deeper if they want into this monograph. I'll put a link in the show notes. Uh, let, let's finish up the interview the way we started, the way you do in the book from accidental. And that's, that's my career as well. I didn't point myself towards um, retail per se, but I just, I wound up there 20, 25, 30 years later. <laughs> Give me your career advice. You, you call it from accidental to intentional, which I thought was a great way to end the book. Career advice and how to take your career to whatever it can be next. So yeah. talk about that for a little bit to, to bring us home. Sure. And I also recognize that there are a lot of people that are currently looking. Um, and I think some really great opportunities have come out of the last you know, six, seven months. And that is, you know, there's never been a better time to build your network. So this, I think in, in the world of retail, that is, and there's no specific education that makes you successful in this business. There's no particular company. There's nothing that says, if I do this, I'm going to be successful. You have to figure it out yourself and you have to take ownership of your career and, and say, what am I going to build around me? And who am I going to network with? Who can give me great advice? And so this, this time, you know, webinars and podcasts and having access to people that you may not have had before, use that to your advantage. Grow from it, reach out to people, ask for 15 minutes of time. Uh, and so this kind of intentional idea of that shift is... Okay, I've been doing this now. You know, I think about who I wrote this book for is probably someone doing it 10, 15 years. And now this is their career. So this is intentional. So let me surround myself with great advice and great people. And LinkedIn is such an extraordinary way to do that. You see the companies that are really shining and you see those that are really never spoken about. You have access to leadership, the, all the free webinars that have happened where you can just see how people interact. I've done it myself. I've seen people on webinars, even ones I've been on, um, particularly the ones I've done for universities. I get so many messages back from them saying, thank you. I really appreciate it. Can I have 15 minutes of your time so I can get a little bit of advice about my career? Like, Use that to your advantage. And I think there's a lot of people who can be very generous with their time. Um, and I would, the other thing I would say is use this opportunity to understand what you're really good at. What are your strengths and where do you want to, how do you want to find an organization that celebrates those strengths so that you can be the best version of your retail self? Um, because some, some brands are highly operational. Some brands are highly customer centric, culture centric. Uh, and you want to work for a company that utilizes your strengths because that's where you will be your absolute happiest. Um, I've even, you know, have my own, you know, I'm such a, as you can tell, front of house sales. I yeah. love to be on the floor. Yeah. I love to talk to people. And if you tell me, well, no run, say you're actually going to spend the day in the stock room with the checklist that you'd have about five minutes of my attention. Like I just, I can't do that. And so this idea of like find companies who celebrate your strengths who want to do well, who can take you the best version of you and contribute to the company. And that spins the flywheel because then you've created this environment and you've put together this mix of people who are the best at what they do. And they're not great at everything, but they're great at what you hired them for. Right. And that's how you actually can solve a, maybe even an underperforming business 
is is put great people together. The book is Retail Pride. Ron, it's been such a treat talking to you. It's been a great exploration of everything from strategy to to hiring. It's been uh, my pleasure to uh, to learn from you and and to and to chat and to share your wisdom and insights. I'll put a link to the book in the uh, show notes. But until we speak again, uh, take care of yourself, uh, be safe, and and congratulations on uh, on getting the book out. And I wish you the best with it. Thank you so much, Michael. This was fun. Thanks to Paige and Ron for being my guests, plus Omnobus for their support on this episode. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple, Spotify, your favorite podcast platform, rate and review, and be sure to recommend to a friend or colleague in the retail industry. I'm Michael LeBlanc, founder and president of Emmy LeBlanc and Company, Inc. You can learn more about me on www.emmylablanc.co or, of course, on LinkedIn. Until next time, have a safe week.